The Books Podcast, presented by Tim Haig. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Books Podcast. I'm Tim Haig and I often, well, brag about the writers we've welcomed to the show. Names like Joanne Harris, Lawrence Krauss, Helen Lewis. So please subscribe now on your favourite podcast player to hear them. And of course, please tell your friends. Well, tell everybody you meet. Now, when I brute about the eminent writers we've had, uh, top of the list is Howard Jacobson. Being in love is an act of carelessness of your safety. It's risk. The more in love you are, the more mortal you feel. And the more your heart is engaged, the more you fear that heart stopping. I ask you, gentlemen of the jury, is this the kind of book you like your wives and servants to read? Howard, thank you for joining us on the Books Podcast. It's my pleasure, and I'm delighted that I did get to top of that list. <laughs> for a moment there, I felt I was languishing way at the bottom. I was saving you up. Wonderful, thank you. The new novel is called What Will Survive of Us, which is uh, it's Philip Larkin, of course. Um, does anybody not know that? And that's a question that's sort of going to come up, because you take no prisoners, do you, in terms of literature? You're not going to uh, worry about anybody being left behind or not recognising a quotation. I'd like them. I'd like to think they recognise that quotation. Yeah. The main problem with that quotation was the full line is "What will survive of us is love," and "What will survive of us is love" is very powerful. "What will survive of us is also powerful," and is possibly a question. Yeah, but that's it. That's it's a it's an ambiguity. Yes, and and that's always rather nice for yes. a, a book title because yes. it's either that that thing "What will" or it's a statement, in which case, uh, you, but you get the best of both worlds, which is actually very much a Howard Jacobson thing, isn't it? So you're on the side of the title as it is. I think it works uh, extremely well. And you, you've done Good. it before. I mean, you, you wrote a book called uh, The Act of Love, which is both about, about sexual intercourse, yes, uh, or the title is, but it's also about the, the other things that express love, the ways that uh, one, yes. one does. So uh, your ambiguous titles, um, I think, um, always work. I'm an, ambigu I'm an ambiguous kind of chap. That's probably because I'm a coward and can't, can't come out on one side of any question or another. Or maybe you wouldn't have anything to write about if you didn't, uh, if you didn't have raise these questions. That's also possible. And literature anyway is an ambiguous business. It's one of the things, that's one of the ways in which it's so crucially different from that which we call social media, which is state, bald statement. Literature is not bald statement and should never know what it means and should always be uncertain about itself, I believe. So yes, and ambivalence is one of the ways in which that uncertainty expresses itself, or doesn't. Howard, you surprised me slightly with this book. I think most of your readership associates you with uh, writing about Jewish characters, and Sam Quaid, your, your, your main male character, is uh, not obviously Jewish. Uh, the Jewish Chronicle tied itself up in knots trying to make him Jewish, but they, they figured, they found they couldn't really justify it. Um, and it's, well, it's a love story, and it's, it's a very intensive love story, isn't it? It's very much what's, what's the space between two people rather than the bigger canvas. There is a canvas, of course there is, but your, your focus was on that immediate space between the, the lovers. Absolutely, it is. It's almost you. If you if it were a painting, you would say it's it's a still life. Everything else is removed. 
Um, as in a still life, often you don't know what's in the room. You just see the vase, you just see the flowers or the or whatever it is that's still. It's still in that way. And that was very deliberate. And I'm, not, I'm not always deliberate. I don't always know where I'm going. I like not know, knowing where I'm going. But I knew that this was going to be uh, a story of love with everything that's not love stripped away from it. Just to look at it in the way, in the kind of detail that a love poem will look at love. And a lot of the, I was thinking of love poetry a lot when I wrote this, particularly poets like John Donne. And he's referenced uh, early on. Uh, yes, uh, but, but poetry of that period, I've, I loved it at school and I taught in the, in the, in the long gone days when I taught literature and I love, I love the poetry of John Donne and I love that sense of its being. He even talks about that, making a little room and everywhere, everything is, everything is distilled to the, to, to, to the bed um, and that doesn't mean he only writes about sex, he writes about, um, he doesn't, he writes about devotion and passion. But that sense that when you are, when you are devoted to somebody else, the world is almost not there for good or evil and sometimes for evil and the book thinks about that too well yes i mean is it a love story or is it a story about an affair because uh, our characters and i think we i'm going to have to ask you in a moment to to tell us about your your two lovers because uh, that's where we need to get into it but th when they meet they're both middle-aged but they're both with somebody else and it, it begins as a story about an affair yes uh, it's funny because a lot of people have talked about that, and I kind of, kind of forgot. <laughs> I forgot that part. I was less interested in that part. I wanted them to be in a situation from which they had to extricate themselves. Uh -huh. And they had to extricate themselves because they had, had to be together. Um, and I wanted to do the having to be together. But I am much less interested in the adultery side of it, which I've written about before. That's true. Uh, you, can't write no you can't write many novels and not deal with that. But I was much less interested in the rights and wrongs of that than I, than I was in the just what it's like. What it's like, to, what do we mean when we say we love somebody? What do we mean? Um, do we know what we mean? Should we know what we mean? What's the intensity like moment, moment by moment? The shocks of love and then the disappointments of love and the ways in which you ride those disappointments. And I wanted everything else to just fade away, be rather blurry at the edges of this story and just concentrate on this story as though I were writing a poem about it. And that's, what, that's why I'm not surprised that you're surprised by this book because this is something I haven't done before. I've written about love. And you've written about sex, and you've written about adultery and, 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 and all of those things. But yes, this, this, this kind of, where the background is, is almost blurred or, or dissolved away a little bit, is new. It's new. Um, what makes it new is the intensity of the love, the emotionalism, and even at sometimes, you know, the avowed sentimentality. They, they he, I mean, Sam knows he is, um, and is amused at himself because of it. Um, and this is one. This is my voice. Well, it's all my voice. But this is my the one the one thing in the book in which I can say is my experience watching at a certain stage in your life embarrassment about feeling these mm -hmm. things peel away from you. Well, I, of course I've all I've always been a very, very sentimental man. 
And I, as a, as a, I, don't know, I was a sentimental boy. I'm, when other boys were, were, were listening to rock music, I was listening to La Boheme. I mean, I could do the death of Mimi and La Boheme when I was 30, and I could sing it all. Uh, certainly I could sing Rodolfo's parts anyway. I loved all that. And I would sit in, my, in a darkened room, age 12 or 13, and cry my eyes out. But nobody dared know that. And if I went to the pictures and was moved, and as often as not I was moved by what I saw, I gulped everything, I gulped everything. I had a, had a sore throat. I had a, a worn larynx in my early teenage years from not wanting to show how upset I was. I know what you mean, but I cry everything. a lot more now than I ever did when I was young. Well, I do too. Um, but, but I, I openly cry more oh, now because right. I can allow it. But I don't have those feelings more than I had them before. And my novels really were, I'm prepared to say it now, because I don't feel I have to defend them in the hour of their being written. Some of those novels, did they hide behind comedy? comedy? Did they deny feeling? Did they, was I embarrassed by feeling? M remember people saying to me, and it was common for people to say this, and I fought against it until I then thought about it. And that was, again and again, I would undercut. I'm a very good, if I'm good at anything, I'm good at undercutting, I'm belittling. I have a scene of deep feeling, and then I can, I'm good at finding the joke that cuts that down. Why did I need... And people would say, why are you doing that? Let us have the feeling. And I would say, because the jokes are so good. When you, when you come off a high crescendo of, of emotion and then can cut that down with a really good joke, it's, it's, it's satisfying if you like jokes. But then in the end, you think, hang on a minute, let them feel. And it's taken me years to let my characters feel. And in order to do that, I've had to allow myself to feel and admit that I feel. Uh, there's, there's, there's two ways of looking at this. One is that I've grown older and I'm not so embarrassed by myself. I was very embarrassed by myself, um, as m lots of people who are comedians or comedic are, and the comedy is a wonderful way of saving yourself. But it isn't only that I'm... I'm too old now to be embarrassed by myself. I also feel it more, and I am, uh, and, I've, and I'm not embarrassed to say that now. I am in love, and I have been in love for a few years, and I thought, well, this is something I now know about. I know a lot about this. I know about the feelings and want to explore them, really. I don't want to worry you, but it, the book is still funny. It made me laugh a lot because there are there are lots of points that they arise naturally out of the of the events. Uh, yeah, there, there there are no gags in it. You're right, but there are very funny moments and very funny uh, uh, sort of endings to <laughs> chapters here and there. I think we need to uh, introduce our lovers. Um, for the benefit of anybody who hasn't read it yet, um, who are they? Who 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 are your principal characters? There is Lily, uh, who is a who is when we meet her, she is making films. She is a television film director. She's making documentaries, and there is Sam, who's been very well known, but is rather less well known now. He's past his heyday. They are both in their late forties. He was a Vondikint uh, playwright, wasn't he? Yes, he wrote, he wrote. Yes, he wrote cynical plays. Uh huh. When he was a kid, Don Juan in Oxford, in which he could be, you know, and he could be, and he could talk about sex with a with a, with a, with in a very debonair and cynical way, which cynicism comes back to bite him. 
because he discovers that's part of what the novel is about, really, that he isn't the cynic he thought he was, and certainly not the cynic that his readers or people who knew him thought he was. I take great pleasure in that being stripped back, not, not, not cruel pleasure, not belittling pleasure, but just seeing, writing about what it's like for feeling to strike you, for feeling to creep, to creep under the carapace of cynicism that a person might have. But we meet them, I mean, it's, it begins with the word kapow. I guess a coup de foudre, so, isn't yes. it? So it's a love at first sight yes. moment. But and as you say, right the, in, literally right the first it. word of the novel is kapow. Yes. You, um, that's, straight in there. And it was when I knew, I, when I sort of saw that way of beginning, I knew I had mm. my novel. That's it, because it's a kapow novel. Bang, they go into it. She, Lily has come to, um, to meet him, to interview him at his home, uh, uh, to try and get him to agree to be... Uh, to write and present one of a series of films she's making about a series about writers in exile. So naturally it's D.H. Lawrence. Who else would he be? D.H. Lawrence gets in there because I like writing about D.H. Lawrence. It also gives you places to go because, yes. as as, uh, as you say in the book, or so, one of the characters says, you know, it's not that we're following him around. The little bastard went everywhere. <laughs> he went everywhere. And, of course, I mean, Lawrence, for me, was the Bible of love. Uh, I'm a little more relaxed about it now. Um, but his, to have his voice there, I mean, he was a great poet of love, a great novelist of love, a great thinker and philosopher of love, and a very preposterous voice about love as well, some of the, some of the time. But to have him there in the background, sort of musing on or muttering on or something, was it's one of the things I like to do. I like to have literature in my novels. I just like it to be there. And if... People don't like a lot of literature in their novels. Tough, but they're not getting they're not getting lectures on these things. These are just presences for some people. Um, if you were to write about them honestly, for some people, literature is so important that they think about it all the time. Um, and it is for me. I think about literature all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying I think about it well or anything, but it's just there. The voices, the sounds, the music of love poems, John Donne's poetry. Uh, Wordsworth, Tennyson, these are in my mind, Shakespeare, of course, in my mind, and therefore I can't write without that showing. So why hide it? And of course it comes through in the prose. One, one of the, uh, the the things that did not surprise me in the novel is that um, people used to say about John Updike that he couldn't write a bad sentence, and you're like that. You, you, uh, the, the prose is so uh, balanced and, and elegant and, and, the, and the dialogue as well that um, it, even though it's, it's an unusual Howard Jacobson novel, the, the, on, by page one you're going, oh, good, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be all right here. Oh, well, that's good. In fact, I can write a bad sentence. I just don't, you don't see it. No, of course, so you rewrite I get it. rid of them. And it's my great shame if a bad sentence gets through um, and somebody shows it to me. Every now and then a reviewer will, will rejoice in the fact that they've found a bad sentence, but they haven't. What they've found is a bad sentence as pronounced by one of the characters. Mm. One of the hardest battles you have as an author, and it's actually getting harder, is... Um, when people don't know the difference between what the novel is and what the novel is about. What's the novel's voice and what's the character's voice? And the number of times you get kind of dragged over the carpet for saying something you haven't said, I haven't said that, or something you don't feel, I don't feel that, that's what that woman feels or that's what that man feels. And you can't read unless you know the difference. That was in my first week as a teacher of literature, I suddenly realised this is going to be the main problem. 
How do you get people to understand that a novel, that a novel itself, is not what its characters say? Or, I mean, because you, you, you deal with this theme in, in, in the book as well. Uh, Lily uh, has a, a slight problem with what some of the characters in Sam's early plays say. And Sam says, yeah, but that's, that wasn't me saying that. And Lily at one point thinks, yeah, but the thought passed through your mind, even momentarily, that was you. Yes, that's a really good thing that she says. She's very smart. Lily. Oh, yeah, she's, 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 she's very terrific, smart. And that's a very good thing to say. And that, I agree, is the thing that finally has to be said when I make my defence of some of the... <laughs> yes. Finally, some... But, but nobody's been smart... Nobody until Lily has been smart enough to say that. You gave it space. You gave it living room for a second. You imagined the person who says what you don't think. But you nonetheless imagined that person. And Lily is, Lily is very good at that. Lily is very good for Sam, and he knows it quickly because she's struck by him. She's smitten by him. She likes the way he looks which is always how it begins, that kapow, love at first sight, you have to like the way the person looks, mm -hmm. superficial as that may be, and then the thing doesn't last very long unless you like other things. And she likes his mind, she likes the way he, t he talks, but she also knows that, he's, that he overdoes it, and that, he's, that he can be, you know, long long-winded, perish the thought that anybody should ever think. <laughs> I, I can't I imagine anybody I complaining about that. <laughs> but she is, and he kind of, he gets, he, he loves that. That's one of the things he loves in her, that she can be critical of him in a way that's not dismissive of him or contemptuous of him. And therefore he feels he can rely on her. And they both feel that about each other, that they can rely on each other to be honest about what the other is like. Which is the heart of love, I would have thought. The most unexpected, well, to me, the most unexpected part of the book is when uh, Sam and Lily, after after they've begun their affair, they 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 take to uh, frequenting BDSM uh, sex dungeon nightclubs, um, which came slightly out of left field for me. Although you had, you, I mean, you'd set it up, you 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 prepared us for it. I mean, I'm, I. I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty vanilla, but I would have thought a, a clandestine love affair was exciting enough in itself um, without... Well, I mean, why did they feel the need? Well, is anything exciting enough in itself? Why does anybody, you know, go to these extreme places? I like the idea that they were so surprised by what they felt about each other, not so surprised by what the other person is like, though that's it, that shock of seeing somebody you know you want to see again and the shock when you wake the next day and you and you and the face that you loved the day before you still love there's not only that shock but then there's the shock of what you are discovering something about yourself and once you've started discovering something about yourself i think particularly if you're not 17 or 18 when just the you know the moment of the moment is 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 everything then you uh, when you when you're a little older you start thinking well what am I finding out about myself? Who am I in that case? Who am I? Well, Lily so, and Sam... so why shouldn't... It seems to me perfectly natural that they would then think, and it's only very casually, he, ha he happens to see a note, they're in Amsterdam, she's making a quick film about Amsterdam, and he happens to see an, an, a, a notice for something, and he thinks, hmm, that might be quite... That might. It's not that they're short of excitement, but it's that they are so excited... They feel they can do, can do anything now, and that wanting to do anything has very interesting re consequences because it turns out he can't. He feels silly doing it. 
It feels silly going to a place where, you know, being hurt or something, or where people are taking their clothes off. He's abashed. This, you know, this, this man of the moment, this man who's frightened of saying and thinking nothing, suddenly is. And there's a, for me, there's comedy in that. But there's also a wonderful surprise because she is good at it. She kind of thinks, okay, well, if we got, it's not something I've ever wanted to do or I've ever thought about. But if we're doing that, and if this is a mode of our expressing our passion for each other, then let's at least do it. Don't stand there skulking in the corner going, oh, this is a bit silly, isn't it? Give yourself to it. And she discovers a capacity to give herself to it that then shocks her because she thinks, my God, I'm I am discovering something in myself here and, and a, a willingness to go beyond the norm, a willingness to take risks with myself. And at some point, bodily risks. You know, she goes off to do something, uh, which is not itself so terrible, but the fact that she goes off to do it on her own, she thinks, oh, this is anything could have happened to me. And she's become careless of her, careless of her safety. But that's, just, that's an extreme way of saying that that is what you're doing when you're in love, particularly if you're not young and you're getting a little bit weaker. It, the whole being in love is an act of carelessness of your safety. It's risk. And I simply wanted to give them risk. I also just think it's fantastic those places to write, to write about. I went when I was writing The Act of Love. I went to one or two of those places to, ta to uh -huh. take a look. And, and, and if anybody, any, if ever anybody sort of suggested I take part in anything, I was just like him. I'm, well, how dare. <laughs> or a news <laughs> of the world day. journalist. You've made your excuses yes, and left. <laughs> yes, I'm not, I'm not here for that. And I thought, okay, well, a few things are interesting. It's very interesting to see what people who really want to do that are like. Um, I was very struck by how well-mannered they all are, how urbane and well-mannered and supremely tolerant. They, well, nowadays, of course, we have the internet, and when when uh, this you know this is uh, sort of twenty years earlier, or that Lily and Sam are sort of getting into this, there there was much less uh, public knowledge about this kind of thing, wasn't there? You're right that things have changed, and the stuff that the stuff that anyone researching places like that would have found outre twenty years ago is just part of the. It's just as I understand it. It's just part of the of the scene now. It's how people, I mean, people wear fetish clothes on the street just to go yes. out. Yes, they do. I'm not spoiling anything um, uh, in in the course of the novel uh, when I say that uh, the uh, Lily and Sam end up together um, because you telegraph that uh, early on, um, which means that they 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 then move into uh, actually the. the part of the book that you, I think, uh, enjoyed the most, which is, you know, where they're having, yes, it's, it's still a love affair, but it's one in which they're able to commit to each other. Um, and and uh, they, they, they go around, they go house hunting. Now, uh, I think The Guardian said something about um, um, Hampstead adultery novels. Um, I, I've always thought about affairs, though, that, um, you know, where, where do people get the time and the resources? Well, uh, they're not in the first flush. By that time, they're in the late fifties. Yeah, they've both they've both been fairly successful and made a living. The fact that they don't have children to look after and schools to pay for means that they've got a little bit more. Ca ca can I just say, by the way, I've never known why anybody should object to a Hampstead adultery novel. No, absolutely. I think I'd not. rather they're read a Hampstead ones. adultery novel than certainly a, a, um, a, a thriller. 
um, a novel about uh, old ladies in the country killing people, a fantasy, mm. a children's novel. If I've written, if I've written a serious and interesting adultery novel, they should thank me. <laughs> Critics should get on their knees and thank me, say thank you, Howard, for giving us a novel about adults, because there aren't many out there. Don't complain about it. Reward me. Go out and buy all your friends a copy. But it's very interesting. You said something a second ago. Now, what was it that, that caught my attention? Yes, you said they are together, but they are still they're still lovers. But they but they're together. And it was as if you saw, you thought that to be a lover, the nature of love is in fact the adultery part. That's the that's the exciting part of love. And what I wanted to get was that you don't have to be adulterous. You don't have to be cheating. There doesn't have to be that um, risk, that kind of risk or danger hanging over you to enjoy, to be excited by each other. And that was very, something I very much wanted to, re to render. That the, also the, even the excitement you, of just being together. Yeah, because uh, even uh, you don't even need to be constantly having sex. I mean, uh, Lily and Sam have conversations about why it might be that uh, things have changed and the dynamics of their sexual relationship has changed. And um, I sat there thinking, uh, it's just because you're getting older. You know, as you approach sixty and seventy, and uh, and they they the, the novel takes them through. Yes. This, um, then the dynamic of sexual relations will change inevitably. But the the excitement is if you still feel the same uh, about being with each other. I suppose. Yes. Um. But people but people do get upset when the dynamic changes, and they try to do something about it. They don't they don't go the Viagra route. But the fact that many people do go the Viagra route means that they are determined to, you know, to flog a dead horse, as it were. They won't accept people. And I think it's the saddest thing to see people not accept. We've moved into another phase now. And each phase, to each phase, you know, its own, its own delights and its own pleasures. I'm, I'm not a D.H. Lawrence, and I'm not, you know, writing a healthful book. And I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not... Um, I'm not working to change the way people feel about sex, except I do a little bit about that one. And that's, that's sort of to say, take your risk, take your risk, do those mad things because it will be good for you later on because you'll have the, the, the experience of having done it is the part of the cement of your being together. But don't imagine that you've got to be, be like kids it was never that good being a kid. They both know that. It wasn't that great being in love when they well, were children. Lily's in a, a relationship with a man that she's she slept with for five years, and then uh, it's been fifteen or twenty that she's she's been happy enough with him, but there's no there's no passion. Yes, um, civilized. I mean, that's probably what makes the world go round. I think you know any number of relationships like that, and w no scorn for them. They are you know they are fantastic. We said earlier on that the uh, that the secondary characters are slightly shadowy. Um, although um, some some of them are great fun. Uh, Hal, Lily's man, she's not married to him, but the, her, her partner is is fairly insubstantial. Selena, Sam's wife, who he has to leave, is is more more vividly rendered. I rather enjoyed her. She was feisty, and yes. uh, Lily's mother, I absolutely fell in love with. Lily's mother had this business with she kicked her, her husband out because he came home from a trip 
with um, and it's not even a full-blown venereal disease it's just crabs or but something. just crabs <laughs> yes yes and she's not having those walked into the house she wasn't having this lousy man and no. it, it, was, it was the dirtiness of it was what no her. I've, I've, lily's I've, mother who only appears a little bit very vivid i liked her yes i like writing about her too and i like i like that that parental presence of of mothers and fathers, but particularly mothers who have just got that distaste really for how men behave i like the way women talk about men much more than i like the way men talk about women and i think it is i think it is quite tricky one of the things i wanted to do was it's quite tricky to be a man sexually to be a man these days mm -hmm. it's not it doesn't have to be an agony and and it doesn't have to be a tragedy but you've got to, you've got to watch your step much more. Can I put it like that? A woman does not have to watch a step. In light of that, I, 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 I'm slightly nervous of congratulating you on writing your women's characters. I can sort of hear <laughs> voices somewhere going, oh, yes, uh, this, this man is congratulating this other man on his women characters. Um, uh, but all that said, they don't exactly pass the Bechtel test, do they? <laughs> there's, there's no conversation that Lily has with another woman that's not effectively about Sam. This isn't, I mean, when you write a novel, you're not doing the whole of life. And this is, Tolstoy did. I don't write, I'm not a Tolstoyan. Wouldn't mind being, but I'm not. So things that happen in the novel don't happen just because they happen in life. If, if, if Lily meets a woman, uh, one of her friends on the street, there is a reason for it. In, 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 a in narrative reason. Yes, yes. there's yes. a narrative reason for it. But I'm sure if there were, you know, if I wanted to write a novel ten times this length, I could write a nice scene in which they talk about some other thing. I suppose I could have them talking about Tolstoy. Yeah, why not? And I will in my next novel. I make, I make a promise to my readers. Two women will meet in my next novel and they will talk about Tolstoy. I shall read it. Right, well, I, the, the final... Uh, but that's two women talking about men again. Yeah. Two women will meet in my next novel and they will talk about George Eliot. Okay, fair well, enough. Fair enough. The, um, you've, asked, you've sort of, no, you've completely answered my final question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. At, at, at one point in the book, uh, you say, happiness fares poorly in the literature of love. But you wanted to correct that, didn't you? You wanted to put that right. Well, I certainly wanted to put it, did I want to put it right? Yes, I suppose I did. But I just wanted to write out of something that I feel. Um, one of the things that I, it, you have to talk about if you talk about love, is that the more in love you are, the more mortal you feel, and the more morbid you will feel. The more you have, to, the more your heart is engaged, the more you fear that heart stopping, if I can put it that way. The minute you fall deeply in love, there is a sort of sadness settles, if not actually on your shoulder nearby. Melancholy strolls into the garden. And it's there around you, a new, a new kind of melancholy. And that's the utter sadness of the thing ceasing. But I think the more you've given yourself to the exquisiteness of love, and that's what I wanted to write about here, the sheer exquisiteness of it, so that any falling off does hurt. The thought of the ultimate falling off, that's that one of you will not be there anymore, is unbearably sad. Howard Jacobson, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Lovely talking to you. The book is What Will Survive of Us by Howard Jacobson. Uh, it's published by Jonathan Cape at £18.99. 
If you enjoyed this interview, subscribe now to be notified of upcoming episodes. Uh, please do click subscribe right now. Coming next is another live recording of Books Podcast. We'll be discussing Little Englanders, Britain in the Edwardian era with Dr. Alwyn Turner at the Dublin Castle Pub in Camden on Tuesday, 27th of February. So follow us on Facebook. Please come along to Books Podcast Live. Doors at 6, interview at 7.30, followed by questions from the audience and book signing. It's going to be fun. That was the Books Podcast, presented by Tim Haig. Email Tim on tim at bookspodcast.com, Twitter at bookspodcast, and Facebook at bookspodcasttim.com.